My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to another edition of the uh, Jewish Reaction, brought to you by the Orthodox Union. The OU presents the Jewish Reactions. We keep everybody up to date on the wonderful activities going on at the OU and important topics in the Jewish world that the OU brings to the forefront. Today, Maury Litwack is with us. He's um, speaking to us about tuition affordability and a variety of other issues. He is the OU's Director of State Political Affairs, and the OU has been doing a lot on the issue of tuition affordability, and we'll be able to discuss that and other issues with him during this session. I do remind you that the Nachum Siegel Network brings you the OU's presentation of the Jewish Reaction. Please remember all of our social media outlets, including uh, on Facebook, our Facebook update page, Nachum Siegel Network, on Twitter at Nachum Siegel Net, on Instagram, Nachum Siegel Network. And, of course, OU.org is an amazing resource for everything, not only that we discuss, but everything you can imagine in the Jewish world. Maury Litwack, Director of State Political Affairs of the Orthodox Union, welcome back to the Nachum Siegel Network. No, it's always a pleasure, Nachum. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, I'm excited that I don't have to uh, wake up early to be on the show today. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to start a little bit differently than I thought I would uh, 24 hours ago. Uh, I recently saw the um, most recent Republican candidates debate, and Jeb Bush, unless I totally misunderstood him, seemed to indicate that in his state, the state of Florida, there is tuition affordability or private school vouchers or however, whatever term you want to use, to the point where somebody who would normally be a public school kid could, in fact, attend private school with those vouchers. Is it as simple as that? Are there some states who are so far ahead of us in New York and New Jersey on this issue? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there there are states that have programs which I think would be uh, very enticing and very exciting for parents. There are, are obviously those that have vouchers. But let's use a state like Florida, which has a there are pro, there are states which have vouchers, and then they have sometimes very small populations of uh, of the Jewish day school community. And then there's a place like Florida, which is I think the fourth largest uh, Jewish day school population in the country, and they have what's called the corporate tax credit program, uh, which essentially incentivizes corporations to give um, ta- to give donations to scholarship entities, which can be Catholic or Jewish. Uh, or any other private school, and in exchange for that, they receive a uh, tax credit for it. So, if you're in the, you know, if you're the Florida orange growers, and you want to give a million dollar donation to um, to the Jewish, uh, the Florida Jewish School Association, you can do that and receive, um, you know, close to that amount back in tax credits uh, on money you'd otherwise owe the state. So, it, it is a win-win for businesses, and it's a win-win for private schools. So, pr- practically speaking, what Jeb's talking about. Has actually uh, occurred there, and I think in a big, big way, in a substantive manner. Um, you know, there are schools in in Florida where you know the to- where they receive close to a million uh, dollars a year. Some receive a few hundred thousand dollars a year from the program, depending on which school. I'll give you one example. There's a school in Miami Beach that I was speaking to um, probably about six months ago, who said, "Well, now we can pay our teachers. Now we can we can be out of the black. Now the school can operate where it's supposed to be because of this uh, this program." And there's there are pro- there are schools in other parts of Miami whereby because of this program, kids are able to exit the public schools and attend a yeshiva. So yeah, th- th- this this is a living, breathing. Good program for uh, the sort of the Yeshiva and Jewish Day School Network in Florida. So back to my premise: Are we way behind based on what you just described? Do we, for instance, in New York State, lag way behind Florida? 
Well, I think that the, the, in terms of the, the excitement of the program, I, I don't think there's any program that comes close in New York to the, the tax credit program. But what has been done in New York is there's been essentially a grocery list of different programs that have accumulated over the years. So, for example, there's $10 in aid for security. Right. There's, um, there's, there's uh, aid to reimburse schools for taking attendance. There's aid to reimburse schools in New York for taking the regions and things like that, which add up cumulatively into a large amount, possibly as much as the, you know, the tax credit provides in certain, certain areas. So New York, I would say, has been um, successful in a lot of the small victories, which add up to, um, to more funding. Uh, and then in New Jersey, I think New Jersey has, has lagged behind for some time. We're trying to fix that. But uh, I think if you, compare, if you compare New Jersey to – if you compare New York to Florida, not nearly the sort of size of the program um, ha- exists. But if you compare New Jersey to New York or Florida, New Jersey certainly lack, lags far behind the other two states. Maury Litwack, OU Advocacy, talking about the tuition crisis. Look, this has been a topic, obviously, for a long, long time, and we've addressed it many times. But – it, you know, and we know those of us who are familiar with it, from whatever angle we come, um, know a type of battle New Yorkers had to face. Those who were looking for vouchers or some type of tuition tax credit, some type of relief. Did Florida have the same type of battle? Any state that's reached their level that you described to us, do they all have to go through a years-long battle to get there? Yeah, I mean, look at look at Florida, and, and it's it's a funny thing to me because there's all kinds of ideas out there to fix the tuition crisis and to bring more relief to parents and more relief to yeshivas. And the bottom line is is that that um, so many of the solutions involve either squeezing the yeshivas or the parents for more money, uh, or or or, um, you know, or or trimming the administrative budgets, all kinds of things. The government funding is the only thing that's outside external funding for. Our institutions in our system, right. and so if you look at Florida, there's a man there named Dr. Alan Jacob, who is uh, a fantastic lay leader uh, and really instrumental in so much that has occurred there for these programs there. And if you speak to um, Dr. Jacob about this, he'll tell you that that it's been it's been year long battles to get where they're at with this, and it continues to be those types of battles. And it's not just his work, but he partners with. People in, in other coalitions, uh, you know, a person named John Kirtley, who is very influential in the school choice movement, and others. And this is, a, this is an effort where it's everything from, you know, if you get people in Florida know who Dr. Jacob is because they get emails from him saying, they get emails from him saying these issues are important and we have to care about these issues. People in Florida understand these issues because there's a galvanized, mobilized effort to, um, to, to vote and care about these issues. And people understand these issues because there's a group of us that, 50, 60 of us every year, that will trek up to Tallahassee and advocate on these issues. Right. So, so you know, it's, people always say to me, say to me, hey, Maury, this, this is, okay, maybe it works a little bit, but is it really going to work? And I, I really believe it's just a matter of how much effort and energy we put into this because any time we've done this with proper resources and proper energy and proper um, excitement from the community, we've always returned a result. Even in New Jersey this past year, we had a nice return on that level of energy and activity from the community because we put more energy and effort into it. Yeah, well, I understand that, and I, I agree with you that it has a lot to do with the input of the community, but there may be other issues as well. Let me bear with me as I ask you this little laundry list of, of, uh, of possibilities. In Florida, for instance, and, I, and please excuse the comparison, but hey, it's a great example based on you know the way we've started this conversation. Is there a more flexible legislature than we might have up here in New York? Now look, it's it's uh, the, the there's a Republican legislature 
in Florida, but I can tell you that that so much of lobbying in politics is simply whether or not you you present one of the you 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 have an issue that actually resonates with the politicians. So yes, the legislature is Republican there, but there are the legislatures which have passed passed very good, exciting legislation in blue states as well. I think that that. I've had Republican legislature, le- legislators and politicians yell at me and say they're never going to do this. I've had Democrat legislators say that to me. I've had Democrat and Republicans say they're going to do it. It all depends on how we frame the issue and whether or not they feel that they have to be responsive to our community. That, that's at the end of the day. I don't think it's so much a right-left divide as simply a whether or not we, 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 we as a community are, are looked upon by the politicians as ants or as giants. And I think more often than not, we're looked at as as insignificant bugs that they have to give something to sometimes, or they can get away with ignoring. Maury Litwack with us, OU Advocacy, the Jewish Reaction is the program here at the Nahum Siegel Network. What about cooperation? I've always been impressed, and you may say to me, hey, if you're impressed with what's going on in New York, you'd be much more impressed than other states. I've always been impressed with the Jewish-Catholic cooperation when it comes to the lobbying effort and trying to convince the legislators to either you know be strong on this uh, issue or change their mind on this issue to the way we want them to think. Is there, in fact, a greater cooperation in other states? I think that there's a there's a I, I, I don't know if there's greater cooperation. I think that the in in other states, I think the places where we've been most successful in states outside outside of New York, New Jersey, um, there, there's been a dedicated group within the Jewish community who've really put this on their back and 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 you know really taken it home. And I think that's the key difference because in New York and New Jersey, certainly we have excellent working relationships with the, from an interfaith perspective, um, really fantastic. I would argue in, in New York, it's possible that the you know the Catholic Jewish relationship is stronger than almost any other state. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. fantastic. But at the end of the day, it, it's just it's so much about it's more than just that. I, I would say that. People have said to me, said to me, oh, Cardinal Dolan, he's fantastic in New York. So he, I know he supports tax credits and all these things. So if he can't, if he can't get it done, then, then, you know, who can get it done? And my response is, the reason why he can't get it done is because we're not nearly where we should be on that. We're not really, we're not, we're not keeping up with Cardinal Dolan. So, so I, I, my, my argument is not that we, we lack sort of the coalition, uh, or interfaith work. My argument is that we're looking, we're always looking for someone else to sort of do this work. And we're assuming that, that, that they'll be the lead and we can sort of follow it. Yeah, I get that. But I guess the best advice is to do it yourself if you think it's worthy enough, right? No, we have, we <laughs> have to. And if you look at the pro-Israel movement and you look at what's happened in Iran and you look at how, how many, you know, you have guests on this program, you have guests on Jam and Am all the time who talk about this and talk about how people have to get out and engage. And I was in, I remember I was in Great Neck and I was in Westchester in, 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 uh, in one day. And I remember both communities, people, People were saying, we're going to get 1,000 letters and 10,000 phone calls, and we're going to do this, and we're going to go march on Washington. And last week, you know, the OU had uh, some, some hundred, a uh, couple hundred rabbis marching in Washington. I mean, when we want to turn ourselves on that issue and we want to be active, we are forced to be reckoned with. I worked for, for two members of Congress. They, neither one of them from Jewish populations. They, they, the, 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 both of the congressmen I worked for were responsive to the community because they knew that this community was in, actively engaged in this issue. All I'm asking for people to do is, get, is, is, is create some of that same energy for when it comes to domestic policy, for state and local politicians, for the, where, where, where they can make a positive and impactful dish, uh, impact on, on uh, yeshiva pocketbooks. Right. 
Well, it, this may be strange asking you because you're working for such an amazing organization that does so much community service to begin with, but does it sometimes strike you, as many have argued, that this is really the responsibility of the Jewish community and that however, whatever system we use, whether it's a tax system or whether it's some other type of way to raise money or, you know, or, or deal with foundations, funds, and grants, whatever it is, that it's really the Jewish community's responsibility and maybe we should move away from trying to have government intervene? I think that the, the my problem with that is that both from from if you look at government programs and you look at things um, such as food stamps um, or HUD assisted housing or other things like that, you you'll see that they give you the option of having kosher food stamps and HUD assisted living takes into consideration whether you live near a shul or you live near a church or something else like that. Hmm. There's options for those types of things, but when it comes to education, for some reason in this country we don't view education like that. Not just for when it comes to private school education, but when it comes to, um, I know stories of, of because of this work I, I interact with so many other coalitions, and I know stories and advocates of, uh, um, who work on, on just trying to get their kid from a bad public school district into a good school district. And, and, and there are those who oppose that, and the teachers unions and others who say, no, you can't have that level of choice. And so when it comes to government, you know, you have this, this uh, the new health care system, which is all about uh, the ability for people to have more choice with their health care as well. And, and when it comes to education, for some reason, we, we have just, just, I think, over the last 30, 40 years, really decided that there's one choice that's supposed to sort of be uh, one choice fits all. But that's changing. I mean, you have charter schools, and you have, um, you have the ability for people to move into other school districts where in certain, certain cities, certain states. I mean, you have a lot of this change going on, and you have a real movement. I think when a presidential candidate uh, like Jeb Bush, who everyone knows, is, is, is on the program, program uh, and the forum, and he's talking about this as a part of the education policy, which is you have to give people a choice, and you have to give that. We've come a long way. I mean, this is not no longer boogeyman. This is not no longer you know just church-state issues and things like that. So, so I, I disagree with the, the premise that since we send our kids to a private school, we're not entitled to that. We're taxpayers. We save, we, we're taxpayers. We save the, the, the states and locales in tremendous amount of money. And not only that, but we produce um, a tremendous amount of income for states. In terms of, of, I mean, these are, these are teachers and employees who are paying um, income taxes, and these are institutions that were, were, are, um, are driving uh, 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 jobs and, and community in a lot of places. And so, I mean, it, it, it's just not a, as simple an argument as anymore as, hey, you chose that, so you have to pay for that. You know, it's funny. A lot of people, especially younger people in this audience, don't even realize that there was a time when this was a, a real uh, uh, an issue that nobody would discuss. You know, it was, it was, um, it, it was an issue that could be suicidal in the world of politics, in the world of government. And now it's being mentioned at Republican debates, you know? Yeah, and I think, I think also the, the, the de- they're, they're go- you're going to see more and more that, 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 uh, that's, that there has, it's how we present the issues. And, and I think that if, the, if it's presented as a zero-sum game, which is you have to give us vouchers or tax credits or nothing, then it's, that's a losing proposition. But I've never met a politician who will deny our community security funding. And I've never right. met a politician who will deny our community technology funding to make for better education. We, we ha- I, I've rarely met, met uh, serious opposition to those things, because at the end of the day, it is very hard to argue that school, our yeshivas that don't have proper security don't, aren't you know, entitled to the same security that a public school receives. It's just hard for, for that to be opposed. So, so what we've done in the last five years I'm really less than that, and where we're going to go is we're just flipping this whole thing on its head because we cannot be out there 
um, you know, we, we, we are spending cloud dollars, which are obviously um, incredibly uh, uh, important to spend wisely, and we want to do a re- we want a return on the investment for the community. And if we cannot, everywhere we've worked in the last three years, we've had that return, whether it's getting more busing for kids, or it's getting or keeping busing, or it's getting the security funding, or it's getting uh, tax credit programs. It's all about whether or not we can return a make a nice return that grows for the community, and then and then and then escalate it from there. Otherwise, it, this is just. This is not a worthwhile claw project if it's not going to have a serious return for the community each and every year. Yeah. And by the way, just to go back for a second, the point you made about accommodation, how we see it so often in so many other areas of life in this country, and for some reason, maybe because of church or state, or maybe just because of you know tradition, so to speak, it never really seeped into the education areas. A very interesting analysis. I never thought of it in light of the way accommodations are made in other areas of life in this country. Yeah, I mean, and also I, I just think this is a different – we have people in our community. I think our community is incredible. And, 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 and Nukum, you know people and I know people who, when they start out in medicine or they start out in law or they want to be a Rebbe in the yeshiva, they want to be at the top of their field. They want to change things. They want to change the dynamics. They want to flip things on their head. They really want to, want to, want to not only conquer that – they want to improve their community. That's how we think as a people, and that's how we operate. And when, it co- when it's come to this, I believe that we're at a point where if we act like that and we treat the, the tuition issue in the government space with sort of the same seriousness and same drive, we can have success. Great point. Maury Litwack is with us, OU Director of State Political Affairs. We're speaking now about tuition affordability. We'll go to other subjects in a moment. Um, do you think we have finally put to rest the cynicism because i believe in new york it's been proven to be otherwise already uh, and you could speak more about it have we put aside the cynicism that if in fact there is government assistance to help with yeshiva tuition all yeshivas will do is raise their tuition i mean look i think i think there's 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 two types of yeshivas and i sigh when i when when i hear this question there's two types of yeshivas that i've dealt with with this there are yeshivas who have not increased tuition there are yeshivas who have been able to pay the bills, which is a big deal for a lot of yeshivas. And there are yeshivas who have increased tuition despite um, the money that's coming in. Uh, my response to this consistently is as follows. My response is consistently is that if there's a real movement um, and there's real money we're going after, I think it's a game changer. And I sat down with, with um, some principals a few weeks ago who, who, um, who, who basically echoed that. But, again, I, I think that, that right now if I get – Five dollars more a kid, or ten dollars more a kid. I don't think it's a meaningful impact. Right. But if I get an either thousand dollars a kid or fifteen hundred dollars per kid, I think that changes things um, and goes from there. And I think if there's a movement of people who are actively engaged in this, not passively engaged, not sort of shrug their shoulders engaged, I, I think that those those uh, the, that makes an impact, and it forces the institutions to think about how they're going to spend this money, and it forces the community members to think about what's the best way to spend that money as well. Right now, what I have is. Is when tuition when when I get more money um, from uh, the government, it's, it certainly hasn't been in that large a number. It's been more in the ten to fifty dollar range, so it hasn't been significant enough. Right. But I, I don't even I spend so much time educating community members that this took place or what happened with it, uh, and, and I just don't think we should be in that situation. When you look at the pro-Israel community, and again going back to this, you have the Israel report in every in almost every shul. You have serious discussion around Shabbos tables about 
who, which congressman voted for what and how this one betrayed me and this one did that, etc. I challenge people in our community. They can't name their assemblyman. They can't name their state senator. They can't do those things. We're, we're not even close to that. So I, all I'm, all, when, I, when I have to flip this argument back to the community and say, you want that, you want that change, you want to see tuition go down, you want to see this money go to, in a meaningful way, be part of it. How passionate will our community be about this issue? That's You're saying that's all it comes down to, simple as that. Yeah, 100%. Quench my curiosity. Which two members of Congress did you work for? I worked for a member. For, they're both they're both uh, long gone, unfortunately, the the politics of, uh, of of Congress. I worked for a member from Northern California named John Taylor Doolittle and one from Utah named uh, Chris Cannon, both, uh, both Mormon members of Congress. I think I was the the first Jewish staff member and a Utah member of Congress's staff. I can imagine. I assume you spent some time in Utah then. Oh, I definitely did. I, I, uh, I'm a big fan of the Mormons. <laughs> and what about a Jewish community? Is there any in Utah? There is a Jewish community in Utah. There's a, a great uh, uh, Chabad in Utah, very uh, very spitable. Uh, I'm, I can't remember his name, but uh, great, you know, very nice community, and it's, it's very funny. We, we host it. We took some, um, some rabbis uh, with the OU a couple years ago to Utah, uh, to see, you know, to to interact with some of their their leaders for interfaith purposes, and uh, I mean, they they really know know our our everything was was you know kosher and labeled, and they knew all of our uh, all of our uh, halacha inside and out. I mean, they they really do their research. <laughs> I can only imagine. Uh, the Orthodox Union back in August thanked New York City Mayor Bill De Blasio for releasing half day universal pre K seats. For the coming school year. Now, you'll recall this was a major issue in New York. Those who are New Yorkers who are tuned in uh, certainly heard of the issue when the mayoral race was going on, this universal pre-K and the commitment that the mayor made to it. Uh, and then it seemed the Jewish community was not happy with the way he implemented things. Uh, what happened back then, and what, what is the status now? Well, I mean, I think Mayor de Blasio is the poster child for not helping uh, the Jewish community. And I, I operate and travel in in at least a dozen states around the country. I mean, he, he, I think he's been absolutely the worst for um, helping the, the Jewish day school and yeshiva community. And, and I think, just to give you two examples, one is this pre-K, is that uh, um, he, he made a he, – he walked around, he campaigned, he said every child would be part of this program. And you have no idea how excited we were about this simply because imagine a world where, where parents are struggling with tuition and they can enter into – Pre-K in, into in, sorry into the into the the um, the into this program and basically have free um, tuition and that's a sort of a great entry point for for you know for parents who oftentimes will pay ten twelve thousand dollars for this for for that that entry point to then go from there to um, to into the yeshiva into the yeshiva system so we were ecstatic about it we said wow this is a way for for us to be to to essentially have a you know free Jewish education for a segment of every yeshiva, and then when push came to shove, the mayor started sort of backtracking on on uh, on that, and he implemented a uh, an additional hour and twenty minutes of of secular instruction, which essentially um, ended up uh, eliminating the ability for most yeshivas to participate. So he required the state required five hours of secular secular instruction. And the mayor required six hours and 20 minutes of secular instruction. And we went to the mayor, and we said to the mayor, listen, you're really, you know, we are the largest, the yeshiva kids in New York are the largest non-public school provider in the city. We are larger than the Catholics. You cannot claim that your program is universal 
if you don't have us in the program. And I think they just you know, sort of bet that they would still be able to persuade us in the program. And year one of the program, only about 11% of our kids were in this program. What was the political benefit of backtracking? Not to be cynical, but there must, I mean, I, I assume there was a political benefit for him. Well, I think, I think it's, it's, it's oftentimes in politics, people decide that they're going to, they have a, a, a sort of one, one size fits all. And if you don't like it, then you don't take it. And, uh, and I remember there was one statement from the mayor's office which essentially said that we can't please everybody. And, and I just think that, you know, in certain states, that might work simply because the Jewish day school population is so small. I mean, I don't think it should be that way. But when it comes to New York City, it's just a joke. I mean, there's over a hundred thousand uh, Jewish day school kids in the city. Again, we're larger than the we, we are the largest non-public school provider, larger than the Catholics. Right. So it's it's just not. You can't ignore us, and you can't just assume that you present a program and it's going to be one size fits all. So the mayor's office, uh, I think, was surprised at sort of the we, we staged a very public campaign on this. This took out uh, advertising and really, really uh, uh, thousands of letters and everything else like that. Uh, and I think the mayor's office was very surprised that our community would be as um, loud as they were on it. So we, we got a partial win on this program in the sense that there's a half-day UPK program, which accommodates a lot of yeshivas, but it's still a far cry from the original promise, which, uh, you know, if you add up the number of uh, yeshiva kids in in uh, New York City, this this had the promise of an additional $100 million for our kids. Let me sidetrack for a second, and then we'll get back on topic for our last few minutes. Um, what do you make of the uh, rift between the mayor and the governor of New York? I, I Look, I, I think that the I'm, – I'm certainly biased because I – I think that there's been every year since I've been working with the governor, he's been helpful and understands that 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 the community need our our community, the Catholic community, the private school community needs help, um, and and has been trying to find creative ways to do that for our community and been responsive. And I think he's willing to sort of listen and uh, and if he's wrong, I think he's willing to hear it out and, and work forward. And I think the mayor, everything I've seen has been the complete opposite. I think the mayor is. Um, is in a a uh, uh, really operating within a vacuum, and and I think that the the these are just two politicians who operate very differently. And and the mayor, I think the the governor is looking for consensus where he can he can get it, and the governor is used to operating in Albany where he has to build consensus. And I think the mayor is, believes that he has a mandate. And I think that when there's one person who thinks they have a mandate and another person <laughs> looking for consensus, they're going to clash. That's a good point. Uh, the OU back in July uh, applauded the U.S. House of Representatives for its passage of the Student Success Act, known as H.R. 5. This legislation you wrote, or your office wrote, will reauthorize and revise the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which funds local public school districts for specific purposes, such as remedial reading, teacher training, speech, and occupational therapies. Is this something that our community takes advantage of? Yeah, I mean, th- th- these programs are end up trickling down um, from the federal side into different programs. Uh, title, title programs um, are typically what they're referred to. They, they generally benefit the uh, um, lower-income um, students within our community. But this is, you know, this is a program that, as an example, in, uh, in you know, we have, an, we have a specific staff that works on this both in D.C., and in New York, and I think the number was $10 million worth of services and aid this program has trickled down to in, in New York. Obviously, in other states also, depending on the size of the school, and uh, it can have a benefit. But again, this, is, this goes back to sort of the larger um, discussion, which is anybody who reads this 
uh, in our community would sort of scratch their head and say, okay, does this benefit or not benefit us? Right. And, and I think that's just, you know, a lack of education uh, because this is a program which uh, helps a lot of kids. I mean, it helps, it helps them improve their education, and it helps uh, them get, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it helps with, with teacher training and it helps with OT and a lot of other things that are impactful. I mean, there, there are parents who receive some of this funding who have no idea that it requires lobbying every year to get this funding. Are you aware of the fact that there's a $10 million grant from the Gottesman Foundation, which is specifically geared to take four schools in our area, I believe they're all in New Jersey, and make sure that tuition is capped for at least a number of years going forward? I am aware of that. And uh, that's, a, that's a great uh, innovation by the quote-unquote private sector to assist, you know, meaning the Jewish community's private sector, to, to assist in tuition affordability. Yeah, but I think also I, I think part part of this. Look, I think every member, every every yeshiva parent from those schools should write a letter to the Gosman Foundation and thank them. And That's I think, true. And they, I think they should spend time learning why they did that and how they can continue that. I think this again is is it's not enough anymore to complain and say, hey, my, we all pay tuition or we've paid tuition. It's not enough anymore to just say, hey, it's high and nothing ever is going to fix it. We've talked a lot about the government, and here's a here's the private sector coming in and doing a very innovative, very important program. Are are, are we going to continue that? Are you is there is there are the parents who thanked them for that? Are there parents who've looked into that and worked with them on it? I don't know. And you know, if my late father was here, and he certainly uh, had a role in Jewish education in New Jersey, of all the stuckas that we discuss, and I'm sure you could relate to this, he would probably say supporting your local day school might be the most important one. I mean, look, I I'm a big big believer in that. Uh, and I think that that's the, the I mean I, I I don't know what the OU the OU would say but I, I mean my, my I constantly tell people that they should support and give more money to uh, their their yeshiva um, simply because this is this is this is the next generation it's it's foundational um, you know people generally don't move to communities because of the shul they generally move because of the school right so you know that I I, I I'm biased because I live this, but I think it's the the Jewish education is is a top cause, top three at least in our community, and has to be treated as such. All right, Maury, I'd I'd love to get a report card from someone like you, Maury Litwack, with us, OU Advocacy, uh, regarding this past summer, the one that just concluded, and the Jewish community's response to the vote with Iran, etc. I mean, if we were to put together a report card, and you've probably written articles about this already. Did we lack in any area? It seems to me that there was a lot of strength, a lot of passion, and a lot of activity when it came to the battle that, unfortunately, you know, for those who believe like me, that we lost. But would you say that? Was there any weak area on the entire list? I mean, look, I, I think that there is there's a gut check that has to happen in our community because I, I believe that obviously there are this is not on the Jewish community. That I don't think this is the Jewish community that do enough. But I think that there is a gut check as follows, which is in certain communities, they didn't have the relationships with the members of Congress like they should have. In certain communities, um, they, they, they didn't send 5,000 letters. They sent 500 letters. In certain communities, they didn't send, make 1,000 phone calls. They made 100 phone calls. So I think there has to be an assessment made, and I think it's the responsibility of, of community leaders to sort of make that assessment uh, and say, did we do enough? But go farther than that because people say, well, what can I do now? And the answer is you can vote. So, I mean, we still have incredibly poor voter registration in our community and voter turnout. It's just not that great. And, and so it's not it, – it, it's, it's, 
it's not enough to sort of say, well, what could we have done more? You still can do stuff. You still, if you haven't made a phone call or written a letter, you should do that. But if you're not registered to vote, that's pretty pretty uh, impactful part of this whole process. You, you know, it's un- to us voters, it, it's it's so eye-opening, and it's such a rude awakening every time someone like yourself says it. it, it we we just I, I take forget about taking voting for granted. I take it for granted everybody's registered. I take it for granted everybody wants to be registered and runs at the age of eighteen to be registered. And if we listen to people like you who know the facts, you could tell us it's just the opposite. Yeah, it's it's funny. I uh, I actually people don't know this. But those of us who worked in politics for a while do, and I worked on a lot of campaigns, including uh, including two presidential campaigns, and we know whether or not you vote or not. So right. you should look out because a lot of communities, especially in New York and New Jersey, I've seen those lists. And if you if you don't vote, I'll tell you. I mean, we we know the politicians know if you vote, and those who work in these issues, we know if you vote. And you'd be shocked at how many people are community leaders or consider themselves active and engaged who don't vote nothing. I mean, it's uh, it's public record, right? That book, It's public record. That book that sits there on the table when you go to your voting booth, right? I mean, that, that's public record. Oh, yeah. This is this is my hobby. I, you know, instead of football, <laughs> I go through and comb the records. <laughs> Jewish community any better in other states, or we're basically just as bad everywhere? <laughs> I think we're just as bad as everywhere. I don't think it's something we should be proud of. I think that the the there's an assumption made that the the shul and school life is a voter machine, voter turnout, and I think that's um, not accurate. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the there has to be more effort put into how are we going to mobilize people to engage and vote on these issues and and what do they care about? And thinking in terms of the way you asked, which is what's the score, score, what's what's the scorecard? How are we doing? What kind of grade would we give ourselves? That's the way we have to operate because there's just there's two easy issues sitting there for us on state and local issues. It's Jewish Day School um, and tuition relief on on federal issues. It's it's uh, Israel and it just doesn't get simpler than that. So you can go into the voting booth and you can say, well, how did these people? vote on my issues and you'd be shocked at, at the uh, at the actual grades some of these people get if you get if you do your research the um, it, it, I don't mind if your answer is vague in this because I don't know if uh, any of us want to go on the record and, and, and say what I'm about to suggest but there are those who feel coming off of this summer and being very disappointed by certain members of the United States Senate and certain members of the United States House of Representatives that there has to be a concerted effort to at least unseat one of them. To send a message, do you again, even in a vague fashion, feel that that's of any importance? I look. I mean, I think that the the you have to be very careful in the sense that you don't want to broadcast a a what can be perceived as a threat or sour grapes because because I know in last year in New York politics there was a group of people who basically said, well, we're going to go pick off these two people because they didn't vote the way we liked on education issues. And sure enough, they didn't mobilize. And not only did that reflect poorly on them because it was a threat, but also they didn't actually scare anybody because they didn't do any of the action. What I will say is, is that I, I don't, I don't, I'm a big advocate in the sense that whether it's on Israel or it's on education issues, if there are people who are representing our community who don't reflect our our, 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 the issues that we care about, there should be a concerted effort to not just have a discussion with them, but to consider whether or not there should be someone else in that position. I, I don't know why that's a problem. I just think that it should, be, it should not be thrown out there as a sort of bomb-throwing threat. Um, it should be done in a, in a very reasonable way, which is simply, look, if you're the NRA or you are um, AARP or you, you know, look at any of these organizations, they don't go out there and sort of make idle threats with this stuff. They simply say, look, this is our, our mission. This is, we're looking for people who support us on these issues, and we're going to be active and engaged on that. And I think the community has to be as 
disciplined and thoughtful as those types of lobbying and advocacy organizations. Yeah. So I, I'm not I'm not uh, going to shy away from saying that there are members of Congress who uh, who are not whether not just you know who are not representing the community's interests, and there should be discussions both with them and within the community about whether or not you know what 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 what. What level of engagement you should have with them, and whether or not—I uh, don't know—I mean, nothing stopping people from our community from running for those offices. Also, it's been done before. Yeah, and that's not always the best thing, right? No, it's not always the best thing. I, I think it's not. It, it's a very—you have to be very. It's a very. I, I always hate when in in my line of work when people say, "Oh, we're going to register all of our kids into the public school system, and then we'll yeah. show them." And I, I say, <laughs> "Stop saying that. Don't say that to politicians because you're never going to do it." And but I do think that. That's that increasing voter registration roles, increasing education to the community, forcing. I've seen it time and again. It doesn't have to come to we're going to run someone against you. But if if politicians see that there's a segment of the community who is very upset about something and is not backing down from it, oftentimes they'll end up changing their position because they represent you. So so I don't think it has to come to that. But I, I won't discourage people from saying, hey, someone doesn't represent us, and there are there are fifty thousand. You know, Jews in this community, we maybe we need someone who can. I, I think that's civic advocacy and civic engagement uh, that people are entitled to do. It sounds like, from your standpoint, that the best way to convey this warning, if you will, maybe that's too strong of a word, to folks in Washington is simply to convey it, simply be in touch with them, write them the letters, meet with them, and express just how disappointed you are. It may be a lot easier than trying to unseat them in the United States House of Representatives. Yeah, and also just it's just it's just the the you know we don't want to be we, we're, we're our, our our community is very thoughtful in the way we engage things and we don't want to be full of of sort of bluster and excitement when in when when it's there's nothing to sort of back it up but I think saying look you know rabbis I think often are in positions that are community leaders to say hey I represent five thousand people ten thousand people what am I supposed to tell them congressman right. that alone is a scary thing for a congressman because it it, it trickles down so. This, this is this. If people feel upset and irritated, they they should figure out what to do. Um, you know, they should figure out how to engage with that. But they really should figure out start first and foremost before they speak to the congressman or any elected official. Say, well, what is our community? How much do we vote? How much? How engaged are we? What kind of grade will we give ourselves? Right. And then take it to the politician and say, look, this is how active we are engaged in it, and this is our number one issue. How can you say no to us? How can you not be with us? For the young people out there who want to make government part of their lives as adults, it, the way you did it is easier, better, more effective? In other words, is it better to be a member of the staff and a prominent one than actually being the member of government? Look, I think we need way more more people in politics in the, in the from community um, I, I think if you it's it's easier to sort of climb the ladder and get the experience if you're on the staff and usually you learn like I did that you don't want to be a congressman because it's right. a not a fun job. Um, but it's it's we, we just desperately need people who are active and engaged in this process in the in the community. I think I think more people more and more. Um, it, it's just we're, I, I I think it's a challenge. Um, I, I don't know why, but we, it's a challenge for our staff. Um, and for uh, for I know a lot of from members uh, from staff members on Capitol Hill who are always looking for interns and others in our community who want to be engaged in this. It's just it's a challenge. It's not something that most people in college, most of our younger community, is sort of thinking about doing. But it's really something that we need. You know, active active people 
in this process. It's, it's claw work. It's community work. We need people to do this just like we do to be rabbis and everything else. So if you would have decided to do it, it would have been only because you caught the bug, because that's what it is, right? There's just there's a level that at some point people just catch something and they can't shake it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's it. And, and for me, if I, if I can... If I can help and deliver more for the community, it makes you know. My, my I don't have a job. This is this is a I'm I'm I, it's a big bracha because I'm basically I get to do what I love in politics and do it on behalf of the community. But guess what? If anybody if that sounds attractive to anybody else listening, there's lots of openings. Yeah, that's for sure. Maury Litwack, he's the OU's director of state political affairs. Fascinating conversation. Information, of course, at advocacy.ou.org. Uh, in general, uh, what would you love to see from the uh, from the general public in the Jewish community? I mean, I, obviously, in terms of the uh, members of the United States Congress, we know now how we're, I think we learned a big lesson this summer how we should interact and play a very proactive role. But what about you know on on, on issues that don't get the publicity that Iran deals get? How would you like to see the community react? I just think it's I just think that that there's 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 so many people in in the community who believe that the only way they can make a difference is if they are in a position of power or if they have significant dollars in order to um, to, to put themselves in a position of power. Right. And, and I think that, that's, that there is an opportunity both in whether it's you're talking about pros or politics or you're talking about the things that we've talked about today, whereby if you engage with politicians um, and you, you engage with the community, be active in, on this, or just, or just you being active and involved in it, it's something that you can have a meaningful difference in. And, and that's the message that I'd like to sort of convey, which is this is the only, one of the only sort of pitches that does not require people opening up their pocketbook. It requires people um, registering. It requires people voting. It requires people um, being active and engaged with their politicians. And it requires a, 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 a level of, of, of continued sort of intelligence on it. And I think you find those types of people in the pro-Israel community very often. And you, you and I both know, I mean, look at the Jersey Jewish community. Right. There are people in the New Jersey Jewish community who are titans. I mean, they're really smart, strategic. They know 50 members of Congress. They've, 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 they've done this for a long period of time and have had tremendous impact in the community. I, I just think there's a lot of space here that we could use people to be involved, engaged, and educated. And my takeaway to them would be just start. Will there be uh, more meetings in New Jersey during this school year when it comes to education and uh, tuition uh, affordability? Yes, absolutely. We, we actually uh, we have staff uh, under our Teach New Jersey State program, which I know um, Nathan Lindenbaum and uh, Sam Moe, our chairs, have been on the program previously. Right. Um, and that's the in, – in, I believe in virtually every school there's going to be at uh, back-to-school night, we will have staff at every – uh, school we're doing both voter, helping with voter registration, like information, and also uh, ways for parents to get involved uh, in the school year. Boy, talk about taking it to the people, huh? You oh know? no, we're we're serious. This is enough. Every time I'm going to come on, we're going to get a little closer. If if not, I'm going to quit. So this is <laughs> we just put up or shut up time. <laughs> Understood. We want to get to at least where Florida's at, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't worry. We're we're we're, we're going to get there. At least at least by your you know by through when when your grandkids are in uh, in in. Uh, in uh, in in high school, we'll, we'll get there. It's a long road. It may take a while, but uh, it's it's certainly going in the right direction. You can't deny that. That's for sure. Uh, Maury Litwack, he is the OU's director of uh, state uh, public uh, political affairs, rather uh, information advocacy You can check it out. Uh, these are topics that we discuss often. Thank goodness, and I appreciate Maury you spending time with us. And a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year to you. You too. Have it. Thanks very much for joining me.
Uh, Maury Litwack, that is the um, the update and a very comprehensive update about OU advocacy and especially the tuition crisis in light of everything that's been happening post the school year of uh, last year and now entering into the brand new school year. Again, advocacy.ou.org, advocacy.ou.org. You're listening to the OU Jewish Reaction Show here at the Nahum Siegel Network. I have the uh, honor of hosting this on a weekly basis. Reminded everybody that our social media outlets are as active as ever. Make sure to uh, get your updates by going to Facebook and liking the following page. It's Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, make sure to go to uh, Twitter and follow at Nahum Siegel Net. And to make sure to go to Instagram and follow Nahum Siegel Net as well. Wrap up today's show with a little bit of great Jewish music. Benny Friedman is next. You're listening to the Nahum Siegel Network. Ah, 
Wrapping up with Eitan Katz. Before that, Benny Friedman. You are listening to the Nachum Siegel Network. The uh, Jewish Reaction brought to you by the OU. We strongly suggest you go to the OU's website. Every imaginable category in Jewish life you will find there at OU.org. Go to OU.org. Uh, just an amazing array. My thanks again to Maury Litwack. Phenomenal conversation about OU advocacy and some of the things that have been going on this summer and, of course, the ongoing battle when it comes to tuition affordability. What a job the OU is doing on the front lines. You have been listening to the OU Jewish Reaction Show here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Don't forget to check out our social media outlets, including Facebook, where you should be liking the Nahum Siegel Network Facebook update page. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks for installing the NSN app on your phone so you can listen anywhere around the world to the Nahum Siegel Network. <laughs>